Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Greetings, tomatoes. I'm Cheryl Benton, your host of this episode of The Three Tomatoes Happy Hour. And you may really want to pour yourself a glass of wine right now because we're talking about the C word today, cheating. Does the very word make you feel a little uncomfortable? High profile cheating is all over the news these days from Jeff Bezos infidelity to the college admission scandal. And now the latest baseball scandal, it seems like cheating is everywhere. So what's going on here? Does everyone cheat? Is there more cheating going on now than there was in the past? Or has our relationship to cheating changed over time? Well, here to answer those provocative questions is historian and New York Times bestselling author, J.M. Fenster, I'm going to call her Julie because that's her first name, whose latest book is titled, Cheaters Always Win, The Story of America. So welcome, Julie. Hey, thanks, Cheryl, so much. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. And first, I really want to congratulate you on this book because it's cheeky, it's witty, it's a thoroughly engaging read, and it makes you think. And it may just start really what's a much needed conversation around the topic of cheating and the state of ethics and integrity in our society. So you've taken on a really big topic, but also done it in a fun, interesting, and engaging way. So bravo to you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, I really wrestled with that. I thought if if we're not a little bit enthusiastic about this topic, it's going to get to be a, a easy book to put down, I guess, because right. um, we, need, ethic, we, need, yeah. Yeah, we need to sense of humor with this topic. Exactly. So it's not an ethics manual. So I know you're a historian and you've written about presidents and American history. So what was it that propelled you to want to write a book about cheating? Well, that's a great question because it's um, something new for me a little bit. I have always written about American history. I love I love our country's history and our our feeling. I think we all share that we're always striving for something better. Maybe there's setbacks and a lot of uh, you know dark episodes, but basically the direction is towards something ideal. I I've written books about Jefferson. I've written books about uh, a book about Jefferson, about Abraham Lincoln, um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, but. I wanted to do something new in my career, which is to write about the change that's happened before my very eyes in you know, the last couple of decades and see if I could use the perspective of a couple hundred years of American history to show us right now that we're still striving and yet faltering and, and try to, you know, look at, look at, today's world through the lens of a couple hundred years of American progress or 
sometimes lack of it. So, um, so that was why I, I'm a historian. Maybe the way my brother laughs at me, one of my brothers says I live in 1803. So maybe I'm taking a look <laughs> at 2000 and 2019 from the viewpoint of 1803. I think that's a great that's a great way that's a really great way of putting it. So what one of the really interesting things about the book is the way that you've organized it basically around three sections co and three major topics. So could you elaborate a bit on that for our listeners so they have a sense of what they're going to find when they open up your book? Yeah, that that's exactly um you know the one of the big decisions I had to make because I wanted this book to be about literally about everybody that's reading it. Not that everybody's a cheater, but everybody comes up against cheaters and has decisions to make about how they respond to cheaters, you know. And so the first section um, is not about cheaters, it's about people who get cheated. Because that's all of us and we have to decide what we're going to do about it. Right. And the second Second section is about cheaters and, you know, different aspects of that, whether they can be stopped, whether they, you know, whether they can, will ever stop of their own volition, um, and about four topics like that. And then, as I say, going back to our, our historical um, viewpoint, the last section is, um, since I, I guess I assumed that we kind of proved that there's been a change in attitude of more of an acceptance for cheating and cheaters for many different reasons. The last section is, you know, will this change? Um, going back to people who have tried to uphold American ethics through the centuries, and what is it that might change the, the um, you know, tighten up, I must say. I'm, I'm usually not judgmental, but, right. but let's face it, things have gotten slack, and what would tighten up their attitude toward cheating? Um, again, come back to everybody that's reading the book has to make that decision for themselves. But that's the last section. Will yeah. we continue the way we are or tighten up? Yeah, big. And that's a big question. It's a big yes, question that we all need to ask ourselves. <laughs> and then I and that's exactly I think what your book does. It really opens up that question. And I do hope it starts a dialogue because we really need that. And one of the things that makes your book such an engaging read is that you bring each section of the book really to life with some fascinating stories. And one of the stories in the, in the beginning of the book is around who cheats and who doesn't. As you said, not everybody actually cheats. And it was yeah. around a game show from the 1950s. And I know a lot of our our listeners may not even have been born or were too young to remember, you know, have to have watched the show, but they probably heard of the show. And it was the sixty four thousand dollar question, and and most of us right. have heard of it because it was embroiled in a huge scandal that still lives on today. And in fact, I think there was a movie made about it not that long ago. And but it also involved a name that I know many of us do actually know, and that was Dr. Joyce Brothers. And I just found the whole story fascinating of not only her story in it, but how the cheating happened and who cheats and who didn't cheat. So can you share some of that? I love it was a fascinating story. It is. And yeah, and you mentioned the movie Quiz Show directed yes, by Robert Redford a few right. years back. Yeah. And that, you know, brought to light this, I mean, people may not remember the $64,000 
question, although it's become part of the language now mm-hmm. as a as a metaphor. But um, but it's like any game show. People went on, um, and week by week, they would have to answer questions on one particular topic, and it um, it went up quickly from, I think it started at literally $4. And as we all know, when you double things, it goes up fast. So the next week would be $8. And the next, you know, before you knew it, you were into big money. But right. the, the gimmick was that it was only on one topic. So they, they the producers made a big, um, to find oddball combinations. For example, one contestant was a jockey who knew everything in the world about um, fine art. And another was a policeman who knew everything in the world about opera. And um, they tried not to have the art professor come on and talk right. about others was a, a housewife and a recent graduate of uh, Columbia Graduate School in, so, in uh, psychology. And she went on the audition for this show and said, I want to either talk about homemaking or psychology. And they said, why would that be interesting? You're a homemaker and a psychologist. Right. <laughs> And just out of the side of his mouth, the producer said, uh, yeah, why don't you become an expert on boxing, chortle, chortle. So Joyce Brothers, who had an absolute, you know, IQ that was off the chart, I think, and a memory that was uh, fantastic, he became, in about six weeks, I think it was, an expert on boxing. She memorized all the encyclopedias and so forth, and she was playing the game. And um, very often the producers would give the answers surreptitiously to the contestants. That's what that movie quiz show showed is that the producers, if they liked a contestant because, you know, the audience liked that contestant, then they would give the answers to keep the contestant on. Well, Joyce Brothers was just the opposite. The producers decided she had to go. So they come up, came up with harder and harder questions week by week, and she just <laughs> added them right back. So um, when the show, she eventually won the $64,000 question, and God love her, she parlayed that fame into a career as a as a, the first TV psychologist. Yeah, you know, now we have did. quite a few of them. She was the pioneer who decided she could do that. But um, But she, you know, did not cheat and and when that show was embroiled in scandal it actually the u.s congress and the new york district attorney uh embarked on separate investigations at the highest level and they could not fault brothers the district attorney brought her in before the grand jury and for eight hours peppered her with the hardest questions on boxing he could find and she didn't miss one so She's my example. If any, anybody says, oh, everybody cheats, I want the world to know. No, they really don't. <laughs> yeah, that's it's such a great story. And it's such a great story about her that I don't think most yeah. of us knew either. And I know you have another little story in that segment, too, because you were in that uh, piece about the show. Uh, because yeah. as you said, the producers would serendipitously, tip, oh, wow, I can't say any words today. Uh, they would get the questions, you know, to the, the answers to the contestants. But you gave an example yeah. of another guy who walked away from the show when that happened, right? Because yeah. he refused to be part of that and just, right, walked off. Yeah, I, I just think this this fellow's terrific. He, he, um, 
He was a poet. That's what we know about him for now. He's a poet from New York City. And the producers, I think it was one of the uh, stage managers, slipped just in conversation. They would kind of just slip you some some uh, trivial information, which so happened to be part of one of the questions that you would get. So when this poet was sitting on stage, live television, and he got the question, and you can think of the look on his face when he realized, I've already been given the answer to this question. And he sat for a moment, and he answered the question, you know, and went on. He was now at the $4,000 level, which was you know, the big salary back then, but yeah, he walked absolutely. off the show and yeah, he never came back, never was heard from again, didn't want their lousy money, didn't want to play their lousy game. And I really am confessing to you, Cheryl, I'm really remiss that I I did not find out his name. I tried and couldn't find the name of the poet, but wow. there must be a statue for him too. Exactly. Integrity. <laughs> Next to his yeah. name, that's for sure. Yes. So yes, it's not Dr. always about the money. Yeah. So we hear, you know, obviously the cheating stories, you know, get it played out in the news of, you know, the rich and the famous and whatnot. But you yeah. have lots of stories in your book around everyday Americans who cheat. In fact, you you say people even there are even people who cheat at solitaire. Yeah, I'm gonna confess, <laughs> I actually I don't play solitaire. <laughs> But oh. I, I do cheat at golf. And what's so ridiculous about this <laughs> is I'm a hack golfer and I, I don't play golf for money and I don't play in tournaments. So I'm really just out there playing with friends and basically playing against myself. But I, I, if I have to spend three, you know, hit three strokes trying to get something away, I just decide I'm not going to count two of them. But sometimes I actually tell my partners I'm not counting them all. So I'm not even sure if it technically is cheating, but it's cheating nonetheless. Well, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, my definition for cheating, because it can go from something like what you just said, it's totally harmless up to, you know, breaking the law, you could say murder is cheating for heaven. And you just say out loud, as in, for example, a, a wedding vow, or signing a contract, if you're a sports uh, participant, if you proactively agree to b abide by certain rules, and then you don't for your own benefit. Uh, that's my definition of cheating. So I'm going to go back to your golf example and absolve you <laughs> oh thank you i feel so much better now thank you but you do have stories of people who do you know everyday people and other people have cheated in the book and and i think you'd agree that some of them it's kind of in a way you kind of admire what they did just because of the sheer audacity of it which may yeah. be part of our problem in the in this too. But you have a story about a college kid who devised it was a really clever way to cheat on an exam. Could you share that story? Oh yeah, I know who you mean. Itchy Novak was apparently, and he was um, he was somebody. Now I'll start off not liking him, even though ultimately he really is irresistible. But he he was a fellow that got into one of the big state schools in the Midwest. And he was pretty well resolved from the first day he got there that he wasn't going to go to any classes. And he got by by every known method of cheating on exams and, and you know, purchasing essays and things like that. And he, darn it, he got through. 
And of course, the reason that's a negative is for a couple, but mainly there's some nice person out there that didn't get into that state college. Right. Uh, would have would have made but so that uh, the the last semester his last course in his last semester he heard through the grapevine that in his business class he absolutely had to have an A or else he would he would not do well enough to get a, a passing grade he would not get his degree and all of his cheating four years of sterling cheating would be for naught so. He he uh, heard there were going to be proctors at the exam. It was going to be heavily monitored, and he was a nervous wreck. He couldn't bring all of his usual little, you know, crib notes and things. So he thought the game is over. He got dressed to to leave for home right after the test, thinking I don't need to be there for graduation anyway, and showed up at the test and uh, uh, had a little idea. He walked down to the Actually, he looked in the mirror and thought, look what I've become. And then he went to the test, walked down to talk to the professor, to say something to the professor. And he said, hello, professor. I'm here as one of your proctors to to, uh, monitor this exam. (laughs) The professor said, oh, thank you, young man. Hand out these tests and just look up and down the first two aisles and see, make sure nobody's cheating. So he had the run of the exam. He could bend over anybody's exam, read what it said, go back to his seat, write it in. And, um, you know, obviously he passed, not only passed the exam, he definitely got his A. And God, you know, hard to, hard to hate somebody that clever. I think if I had a company, I might hire him. Exactly. The the (laughs) sheer audacity of what he did. And then you say, if you have all that cleverness i do hope that he went on to do something um something good and important somewhere because he could certainly use all, all that talent but that, i loved i love that example though but but certainly yeah, there thank are, you yeah certainly there are very serious times when we've all either seen cheating or are aware of cheating where it does have uh serious consequences and that's another interesting discussion in, in your book because it raises the questions of why don't we call out cheaters? And a lot of times yeah. we just, we're bystanders. And in fact, there are actually a lot of negative words for, for calling someone out. If you call someone out, you could be yeah. called a rat, a you squealing or so what, what's all yeah. that about? What's happening with that? Well, as you say, you know, there are dozens of words for people who tattle, shall we say, who you know, who are rats, who are, um, you know, squealers. And I could barely find any that honored the person who calls out a cheater. Uh, I think, you know, whistleblower is the closest we come to an honorific. You know, it's it's indicative that that there's a bonding, I believe. I, you know, studied this for over two years and talked to a lot of people and did a lot of reading. And I think what has happened in our society as one of the reasons for this uh, change of attitude toward cheaters is that people have bonded so much with those, let's say, on their sports teams, you know, mm-hmm. um, on their political parties, on their their own companies, their, um, pe- you know, people of any demographic. You don't want to believe it or you don't want to call people out. Schoolmates. Incredibly enough, it's very rare that the students call each other out 
for obvious cheating because they're taught, you know, school spirit. You don't, you don't turn in a, a, one of your friends. And I don't know why not. I have to say, I'm not sure when it is that we be, went from being rugged individualists in this country, that used to be a point of pride, to actually conformists who are, who are more interested in the groupthink than in what's you know, necessarily correct right. or right. And that's been part of the, you know, you know, part of the reason to write the book is to say, why, why have things slipped? Uh, there was a, there was a time in this country, if someone had an affair, um, they basically had to leave town. And um, there, you know, so many examples of that up until the last few decades, it was somehow or other, you had to separate yourself from your own community if you were a involved in marital cheating. Um, in fact, one of my little theories is that that's half the reason the West was settled in the 1800s. <laughs> but, uh, um, or skipping over to our sports example, you mentioned at the top of the podcast that, uh, you know, the, the Houston Astros and now the Boston Red Sox are involved and they've been caught or have admitted to some kind of cheating, right? Well, how many people have turned in their season tickets? How many people have said, I'm through with those teams? None of them. You know, their fans, their fans are standing by them, which is considered an admirable act of loyalty. But it's also letting cheaters get away with it, which is a boulder that's getting bigger and bigger All as right. it rolls along. Well, and your book is titled Cheaters Always Win. And in the last section of your book, you say we have a society that likes cheating and and those examples you know bring that to light and you you have a quote in the last section that i thought was very um very powerful and you said never has cheating been so blithely accepted by the non-cheater and never has it been granted as a privilege of leadership as it is today so you know, you started to talk about that. We've lost our way somehow. So what's happened to ethics and integrity? And do people not even think of cheating as relating to ethics and integrity anymore? Do people even know what ethics means anymore? Does anyone still teach? There used, to be, there used to be courses in ethics. Do these even still exist? No, they basically don't. I have heard wow. they're kind of coming back, but but yeah, they're, they're, those are old-fashioned terms, and uh, and it's it's modern concept to again pin it on the non-cheater to say, why are you not uh, reacting to some of this? And um, you know, the internet. I mentioned the bonding, which is one major. You know, yes. the other team cheats, we don't cheat, but also. Um, I believe the internet, which can, you know, easily be blamed for everything, but still it's uh, broken down the sort of intimacy, if you will, of community. You don't see your friends as much. You don't look them in the eye. You don't have to sit next to them. You know, you can, you can have a giant life with people that you don't actually brush up against. And, and that makes and whether you can shrug off their behavior because. Right. So do you, um, do you, so Julie, do you think we actually, we, 
there's actually more cheating that happens now than it did 100 years ago, let's say, or even 50 years ago? Or is it just more that we've come to accept it more? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think in some ways there is more cheating. For example, there was also a time not too long past when reputation was absolutely everything. And um, and I think now you can you can kind of you know, redeem your reputation or if you went to the right college or the right business college or, um, you know, other, other status symbols kind of can make up for, for reputation. I, uh, having read many, many business, um, autobiographies and memoirs, they, they really worked hard every day to make sure that they could not be caught cheating. Even, you know, some of the more famous people black hand you know that, that dark hand over them all the time saying if you if you cheat once you'll lose your reputation and you'll never get it back right and i don't know that there's that shadow over people no it's no it's you'll almost like uh you know you can be the bad girl and the bad boy and uh you know still nothing you know and have no reper repercussions so yeah and but, and then yeah. reinvent yourself later <laughs> exactly we oh. seem so accepting of that but i have to say yeah. this is this has been a great conversation with you today and we could go on forever Same but we here. don't have forever but you know yeah, I, you I, are, th you're the best. I thank you so much for being my guest and especially for writing this book and i do hope that it starts what really should be an important conversation that we should all be having and so part of that is listeners you need to go out and you need to buy jm fenster's book <laughs> cheaters always win the story of america it's available online and at booksellers everywhere and i promise you it's a fascinating read it's going to make you think it's going to want to make you have this conversation with with friends and colleagues too so Thank you so much, Julie. Well, thank you again. And um, I haven't, I haven't uh, spoken to anyone who had such a great understanding of this, um, what I'm trying to do. So thank you oh, <laughs> for thank opening you. my eyes. Thank you. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very honored to hear that. <laughs> yeah, really.